0: This is Real Presence Live on the RPR Network, bringing you stories of faith and hope through local hosts and guests from across the Upper Midwest. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Real Presence Live, and we are beginning the Straight Talk segment here in this portion of the program as Father Jason Leffer is joining me, Father James Gross, priest from the Diocese of Fargo. Those touch tones are your cue to give us a call. We want to hear from you, your questions. There certainly is a lot going on in the church and in the world, and uh, we would love to hear from you. The number to call is 877-795-0122. You can also leave a question on our Facebook page here at Real Presence Radio, and we are looking forward to hearing from you. In the meantime, uh, there are a couple of things that we want to bring up just to maybe uh, stoke the boiler a little Ooh, bit. there we go, yeah. um, uh, Father Leffer, you may remember that there was um, an organization, Catholic Leadership Institute, that had a continuing ed program that they offered for priests who signed up for it called Good Leaders, Good Shepherds. Yes. That was in, uh, for us in the Diocese of Fargo, it was in uh, the late part of the first decade, <laughs> so about uh, 10 to 12 years ago. Anyway, the... Um, the, uh, I believe he is the, um, CEO of this organization, Daniel Chalucci, um, had, uh, um, published an art- had an article published in Our Sunday Visitor recently entitled, What If They Don't Come Back? Um, and I think he's uh, endeavoring to ask some of the questions out loud that a lot of people have in their minds with regard to how things have been going during the course of the coronavirus pandemic. Now, in many parts of our listing area, um, you know, the uh, public activity in terms of the celebration of the Mass has been rather... Um, uh, consistent since the uh, lockdown had ended, uh, you know, um, in in early May. But there are other parts of the country where it's been very much more restricted. So I just wanted to share a couple of uh, quick poll quotes from this article and see what uh, your reaction might be to this. Uh, uh, he writes, um, "Our fears are real and strong, but are they stronger than our faith and hope?" Jesus told us that he will build his church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. He didn't say how many parishes there would be or what priesthood would definitively look like. As far as I know, he didn't mention mass times or diocesan departments. It's okay to ask the question, what if they don't come back? And it's important to name our fears. But for too long, the church has been asking what if to protect instead of making progress. To mitigate risk instead of stimulating possibility. What if we offend someone? What if no one shows up? What if we close? These are all perfectly responsible, pragmatic to ask, that is, if we were not Christians. And he goes on to say, you know, what if things don't go back to normal? Well, that's an easy one to answer. We don't want to go back to normal. Normal was a three-decade sacramental freefall. Normal was 60-70% to 70% of those baptized no longer practicing the faith at all. If we remember where we were back when it was quote-unquote normal, was it all that God wanted it to be? This is our chance to ask what if and write a new story. What are you afraid to lose? I like that provocative nature that he had in uh, some of those statements. Uh, what comes to your mind as well, you hear yeah. this? Yeah,
1: no, the absolute first thing that comes to my mind is this: is that uh, it's all things work for good for those who believe. All things work for good for those who believe. You know, and it—it it, 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 sounds might, that might sound like a cop out or something. But it, it's not. It's I absolutely believe that's true. Romans all, chapter eight: All things work for good for those who believe or who have faith. And I and I think oftentimes. Okay, okay so then there there's this there's always this tension. There's this tension between uh, the institution and and the living faith. Now in in life on on any level you always need structure and you you need what we call like freedom or relationship there's always kind of like the reason relationship tension where are you heavier on relationship or are you heavier on reason and, and ideas are you heavier on structure or are you heavier on on freedom and and if you get if you stress one too hard over the other, then the the thing falls apart. The the, you know, well same thing with our faith. So, oftentimes we will will send uh, resources and and everything towards protecting the institution or like you know, Father, you you and I are both pastors of beautiful big you know church structures. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't necessarily have the numbers of people who were originally there when those structures were built to keep those going. So. As pastors even, we feel this tension all the time of, what are you doing to keep the institution, that structural church, healthy and going, keeping the roof on, keeping the water out, keeping the the beautiful things up to date as they age and fall apart? Or, you know, like our our organ just blew here the other day and we have a real question, are we going to get a new organ? Are we going to, can't fix the old one? What what, what are we going to do? Or are we going to sacrifice that? It all costs
0: money and sometimes lots of it. Okay.
1: Then on the other hand, you look and you say, or should these resources be going into the people, into the, the people, the real faithful people and who they are and turning and, mm-hmm. and up the people and doing and maybe sacrificing structural things for the living people on the ground and, and their need and how you relate. So there's real tension there. So when we ask these pragmatic questions, mm-hmm. it, it, it's like, what is it that we're after here? And and he's bringing up, this, this is a great opportunity to bring life in into the church, new life, new beginnings, new yeah. new everything. And so instead of like sitting and saying, well, I'm just trying to hold on or keep. Status quo, hold on to the old and not Mm -hmm. lose something. Sometimes you need to risk losing it in order for the new life to come. That can become atrophy if a person isn't careful, right? So the real questions are Mm -hmm. like, okay, how can this work for our good moving forward? That, that's, that's the real thing. And so Mm -hmm. we know we need people of vision. We need, we need people of of energy, people of commitment. We need who are are willing to get in there and, and say, let's, let's have this work for our good instead of sitting under fear Mm -hmm. and, you know, clinging in fear to losing something. We might need to release or let go in order to have a brighter future. Yep.
0: The gifts of the Holy Spirit, especially fortitude, you know, those things continue to come to my mind. So we have someone whom I think you may be familiar with with Father Leffer. Karen is on the phone from Adams. Welcome to Real Presence Live. Thank you, good fathers. I have good mor- a question. Good morning, Karen. Yeah,
1: good morning, Karen. <laughs> good you, morning. You, you usually have really good questions. So what's on your mind today?
0: Well, we'll see. Um, in this, today, with what's going on with, uh, you know, mm. in Washington. How do we pray for them, and when do we know when to shake the dust off and move on, like Jesus says?
1: Oh, so I, I think you're, you're referencing politics and uh, the elephant yeah. in the room, the, 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 as it were. Well, and yeah, especially, yeah, yeah. It, well, <laughs> okay. So let's just kind of name it that um, we have a new. Yesterday, we received a new president. And a new government for the United States. And Who is
0: a baptized Roman Catholic, exactly. the second
1: one in our history. You know, and and yet at the same time, there's there's certain things about the identity of this particular government and maybe that particular uh, president that isn't so kosher with the Catholic faith and the things that we believe. And so, you know, Karen, as a way to answer this, I'm going to have Father Gross introduces the Archbishop Gomez made a... Was the kind of the the writer behind a statement put out by the USCCB yesterday that has churned a lot of. Mm-hmm. I don't know if controversy right where. Can you introduce our listeners to what, what that's yeah. about? Yeah,
0: um, the uh, Archbishop Gomez from Los Angeles is the, uh, the the president of the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops. I think it's a pro forma thing whenever there's an inauguration that they issue a statement. And what he chose to do was be pretty wide ranging. So he spoke about a lot of different things, things that may be laudable in terms of what he's anticipating the upcoming administration may do, and things where he has a concern, uh, particularly with regard to the sanctity of human life and uh, uh, what's going to happen in that area, which I I think it's no less than just speaking the truth, but what ended up happening is that another high-ranking church official Put out a press release where he um, openly expressed his disappointment in the fact that uh, Archbishop Gomez would, you know, speak to some of those things in terms of a, you know, um, please be careful and you know just remind him of what his responsibilities are as a as a disciple of Jesus. And you know, it causes a lot of people to scratch their heads. It's like, well, are we supposed to just be um, putting our blinders on and and just you know 100% praiseworthy of somebody no matter you know where they come from? on this day um, or are we asked to just you know speak the truth with boldness and what's going to
1: happen as a result of that and again we're, we're still Karen has asked this question about mm-hmm. you know when do you support when do you walk away but there's there's another huge element to this which is you know happened through that statement yesterday I mean like right now okay if we just look secularly if it really, it doesn't feel, I mean, the, the reality is it's almost like we have two nations right now. We, yeah. it, it, it's like 50-50 down the middle. One, one side of the nation is, this is the way it's supposed to be. The other side of the nation, this is the way it's supposed to be. Well, that's kind of being reflected in the church as well. You know, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. membership in the church, ideas in the church, um, how how the church should be responding and reflecting, and it's, and I'd say it's even present probably in our church leadership in, and yeah. in bishops because bishops are real men, right? Mm-hmm. And they are formed in a certain way and they have certain outlooks as well. And so it's it's a tense time.
0: Yeah, you know, those who are, are are not in our camp or whatever just need to go away and pound sand, you know, whether it's it be uh, various protests and things like I, for example, I saw this morning that on, in several cities, I suppose the um, usual suspects of Portland, Oregon and Seattle, there were protests by people who were uh, trying to put pressure on President Biden saying, you know, we don't think you're going to go far enough. And so that leaves a lot of people in the country, again, scratching their heads saying, Thing, didn't they get what they wanted, you know, or what they were cheering for when it came to the way the election turned out? And
1: then to give a little comparison or contrast to this, I remember, um, this is going to date myself, but going quite a few years back, I, I was on the East Coast, and this is during the, like, Ronald Reagan, Tip O'Neill days. I don't know if you remember, but Tip O'Neill, he represented the Democrats in, yep. in the House. Speaker of the House, yeah. R- Ronald Reagan was there, and then so you had some really, like, um, that would have been, uh, I guess, Gingrich would have been the, I think, the new conservative kind of coming up. In nineteen. And, yeah. and there, there was some real, um, <clears throat> there was a lot of tension. Like, these guys, uh, publicly, they they opposed each other. And it was mm-hmm. really kind of... A, but at that time, at the end of the day, they'd all go have a beer together. Yeah. Like they literally would go and have dinners together. And, and so there was, you still had this hope, like, we could have differences and, and still be together. Okay? Mm-hmm. Now, having kind of, I think, accurately described the tension in the church and in our nation... Karen has this great question, you know, um, how, when, when, when do you keep, I guess I put this way, when do we keep praying for them? And and when do you just shake the dust off your feet and say, it's a worthless cause we're We're not going to pray for them anymore. I don't know. I mean... Mm -hmm.
0: You know, I would say, you know, definitely always pray for them and make clear that as you're praying for them, you're not giving a blanket endorsement of every policy they have had or will have. But, um, you know, it's a matter of uh, trying to urge people to keep all of these different things in play um, and not to prioritize certain issues to the point of completely being contrary on others. A little bit later in the segment, I want to share a reflection that I came across in the National Catholic Register that talks about that um, divide with regard to morality and how to handle this. And basically, to use the analogy of baking a cake, you have to have all the agree- ingredients in there in proper proportion. Leave a couple of them out, and it's either not going to turn out well or it's not going to taste good, that sort of thing. So um, we'll, we'll, ta- we'll touch on that for a moment. So uh, thank you very much, uh, Karen, for that question. Thank you. Thank you. All righty. Um, and uh, before we continue on we should touch on to something else and just to mention that our number is 877-795-0122 you can also submit questions on our Facebook page and somebody has done that today here Um, I want to share a question that Phil has uh, proposed to us Um, today is the memorial of St. Agnes and he said reading that story we hear how she chose Jesus as her spouse yet she had many suitors and offers for marriage but refused them all stating she she did not want to stain her purity. I am confused. Is that to say those who choose marriage are stained with impurity? Does the marriage vocation make our path to Jesus more difficult?
1: Pick me, pick me. I want to respond to this. Okay, one. Father Leffer, <laughs> why don't you do this? <laughs> no, the reason I get so excited about this is I'm I'm on this kick right now. It's you know if of course you know Father, but for our listeners, last Sunday <clears throat> we're in this vocare. Time period. So last, and vocari means the, like your voice or to call. Mm-hmm. Vo- and we, as Catholics, we hear that as a vocation, right? Come and you will see. And, and so he, last week he said, come in the gospel. This week he says, come in the gospel. Now we're, so we're vocation to be called, that there's a calling, right? So, and the following Sunday, specifically next Sunday, you're going to hear about the call to virginity. Actually, St. Paul is going to speak to us in the, in the second reading about that, that. This very question that's coming up. Around. So we're, we really are at the same. Now, where I want to start in answering this question about um, uh, vocation or call, the overall arching, the primary vocation is the universal call to holiness. As expressed the, in the Second Vatican Council. The universal call to holiness. Now, there's one word that summarizes that up. It's to be a saint. To be a saint. Now, I hesitate to use those those words because when you use these religious words, people usually blink out. Like when you say saint. Like like last night I asked the kids, what, what, do, you, what do you think of when you hear the word saint? And we went around the room and it was a lot of blink out answers. You know, just like, uh, you know. In other words, when you hear, hey, do you guys want to be a saint? Nobody's inspired. Nobody's like, oh, hey, pick me. I, I want to be a saint, you know. But when you start call, talking about the universal call to holiness, like I, I was giving an example. Do you, Father Gross, do you know what the universal call to holiness sounds like? It sounds like this. At five in the morning, my dad's standing at the top of the step saying, boys, are you up yet? It's time to milk those cows. They're not going to milk themselves, you know. What? How is that the universal call to holiness? Well, 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 it is because it's the authority figure. It's your father. Am I going to come under obedience? Am I going to sacrifice myself? What I'd really rather do, which is sleep, than to go out in the cold weather and milk those cows. And words, it's, it's a call to character and virtue and, and development. And what are you doing? You're working on your salvation on somebody else's terms, not, not the terms that I would want. It, like, or, or another example would be like my, my mom. She's like, if you boys don't stop fighting in that back seat, I'm going to stop this car. And she did. And we walked home, right? That, you know, that's, the, I mean, I, I know it sounds silly, but that's the universal call to holiness. That's the, the your mother loving you enough to teach you charity and respect for your, your, your sibling. So every one of us, it, every human being on the face of the earth was created by God for himself to be with him in a, in a face-to-face friendship for all of eternity. So maybe it'd be better to say the universal call to friendship with God right? Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. Now
1: that's primary and it doesn't matter what detail in your life Or now God has created each one of our hearts with a, a very particular way in which that's going to be expressed and the church generally breaks that down into a couple categories like vo- vocational call to religious life, vocational call to priesthood, vocational call to marriage, vocational call to consecrated single life and, and the thing about it is if, if you don't discern that and if you don't hear it you're probably going to end up in a life of misery. On the other hand, if you, if you hear it, and even if, like Father Gross, I always thought I was called to get married and have 12 kids. I really did, all the way through. So I was shocked to discover that God was calling me to the celibate priesthood. It, and it took me a while to understand that. It was, it was confusing to me. But, but the thing is, when, when you agree with what you're called to, guess what? Happiness comes. See, mm-hmm. God has created us to be happy and, and, you know, with him and, and he's given those desires and they, they line up. Okay, so now this question from our Facebook friend, Phil, you know, here's St. Agnes today and he said she had many suitors or whatever. Well, guess what? Her, her happiness depended on what? She heard Jesus Christ calling her in a particular intimacy to consecrated life with him where literally Jesus is her spouse. Jesus is her spouse. So mm-hmm. when it talks about um, she did not want to stain uh, her her purity or whatever. Well, what it, she's she's not putting down the sacrament of marriage. She's right. not putting down these other things. Mm-hmm. She's she's talking about she has this particular call from God to her that's going to make her happy enough to become a saint, which is to, to sacrifice this incredible gift of her uh, ability to have relations and and family and children, and she gives that to the Lord Jesus for him to pour out as he decides to No. Right. So because that's, what's going to make her happy enough to be a saint. If she does anything other than that, she's going to experience sorrow and sadness. And it, mm-hmm. you, you could use these words like taint her purity. What purity? Her pure relationship with Christ. On the other hand, if you have, you know, Joe and Martha and they both have this calling to the sacrament of marriage, and, and that's how they're going to become happy enough to become saints. If they don't respond to that call of sacrificing themselves for another person in this world and committed covenantal relationship, right. and let's say they attempted to live consecrated um, mm-hmm. single life or consecrated celibacy, odds are pretty good they're going to be pretty miserable they might still make it through but it's not going to be a natural fit yeah. with grace building on nature one might and-
0: think of uh, louis and zélie martin as an example of that you know how they found each other and initially had thought that they were called to the consecrated religious life so what agnes is doing is not to discredit or diminish other vocational choices um you know i look at the joe and martha's you know of our parish who are uh, married couples a uh, husband and wife open to the transmission of human life they can give the world saints you know, and, and what a beautiful gift that is. Well, no, so no, who
1: am I to uh, diminish that? You yeah, see, and you're, Father, you're touching on so many things here. Like, I mean, the call to the vocation of marriage, I don't know if people think about this, but you are literally called to bring forth a soul that is created created the image and likeness of God and the image and likeness of yourself that didn't exist before, that will now exist for all of eternity. You literally have the power to change eternity. Yeah. You know, and then there's, there's another aspect to this that, was not part of the question, mm-hmm. but is so important is, and that's the third part of this vocational calling, which I always like to use the word ministry, but a lot of people will use the word occupation or different things like, you know, and, and that one's very mutable. And, and so it could be anything like being, what, being called to be a farmer, being, being a nurse or an opti- op- optometrist, optometrist or, yeah. or, mm-hmm. or, or you know, even as within our vocation of uh, being a priest, you'd be called to be a, a professor or a pastor or a hospital
0: a, chaplain, a, a hospital or, chaplain, or, yeah.
1: theologian, or, or run an orphanage or, Okay. Now, what happens here, and this is so critical, too, because we're talking about becoming happy enough to be a saint, that universal call of holiness, the, this, this happy enough to be a friend of God for all of eternity. Well, a lot of people will confuse that ministry or occupation with their calling, and they'll do it at the expense of their vocation of being married or consecrated single or mm-hmm. priest or religious life. And, and they'll, they'll cling to the thing that's too small and they sacrifice their personal happiness. And I don't know about you, but I've, I've dealt with this quite a bit where, say, somebody is called to, as a ministry, to serve the church, and they do it, but all of a sudden they wake up, they're 35, 40 years old, and they'll come, and like, well, Father, I was called a vocation of marriage, and now there's, I can't get married, and I'm filled with incredible sorrow, and it seems like it's too late for me, mm. blah, blah, blah. You know, so there's timing on these things, and, and it all works together. Yeah. But ultimately, you know, they talk about God having a plan for you. Mm-hmm. but and, and there is a plan, but. critical in that plan is God is giving you freedom and he's as excited to find out how you're going to work your freedom into that plan, mm-hmm. and he makes room yeah, for it. Part you know? of the
0: drama of humanity, exactly. So okay, thank you again, Phil, for that question. That's an important thing to understand in terms of how we speak about the choice that virgin martyrs like uh, St. Agnes made. We just have a few minutes left in the segment, and I want to share something that I saw in National Catholic Register a few weeks ago. This was I, probably about a month ago. The author is Helen Alvary. If that's a familiar name, uh, some years ago she was like the point person for the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops, Life Committee. She's uh, an attorney who is now a law professor. And she wrote a column with another kind of provocative title. It says, If we don't teach the faith, the man in the Oval Office will. And Catholic leaders, she says, must explain why there's no conflict between the church's economic teachings and those on sexual expression. So I just want to share a couple of brief thoughts about this. She begins by saying that President Biden will be teaching Americans and the world what it means to be Catholic, whether or not he intends to and whether or not what he teaches accurately characterizes the faith. You could say that for anybody who's going to be elected to any public office who happens to be observant as a Catholic. Um, She says, "I, I fear in particular that he will prominently insist that governmental social welfare programs overlap perfectly with the Good Samaritan imperative, in other words, to help people who need help, while Catholic teachings on sex, marriage, and parenting contradict it. He will suggest, I fear, that the latter represent merely law and rules, which contradict the great commandment to love. And I think we can see how this um, divide can so uh, quickly come about. She, She expands on what she was talking about. Um, There is an error almost certainly coming our way is a Biden administration's dismissal of Catholic principles on sex, marriage, and parenting as harmful to human beings flourishing at worst and irrelevant to it at best. She talks about how um, there is the the, uh, desire to support a contraception mandate even against religious groups like the Little Sisters of the Poor. She then says this. But Catholic teachings on sex, marriage, and parenting are simply the application of the Good Samaritan principle to our very nearest neighbors, boyfriends, girlfriends, spouses, children, and extended family. She then goes on to say, um, It is hard to overestimate Catholics' exhaustion respecting, um, it, with respect to the uh, so-called pelvic issues. Kind of an interesting phrase there. Both clergy and lay are tired of the media's relentless focus on these subjects and of caricatures of Catholics as sex-obsessed. I'm tired too but i can't shake the thought that catholics are vocationally called to engage in the first several hundred years of christianity christians were famous for challenging greco-roman sexual norms and prevailing christians rejection of divorce abortion and fanticide and same-sex relations won them enthusiastic support from many who felt repressed by former norms which were based largely upon social status and male privilege christians replaced these with norms reflecting god's creative intentions the imperative to care for the weak and the between male and female slave and free so, so basically in a nutshell what I'm afraid may happen is that people are going to stick to one side of the cafeteria with regard to things like um, you know immigration and and stuff like that, and consider people who make priorities of other things as completely foreign to their sphere rather than to uh, respect one another to work together and try to include all of those things
1: in the bucket. you know within that prophetic voice of Helen. Alvary there the there and and it's it's kind of a dire warning that she's giving. I also heard just a reason for hope in what she Mm -hmm, just said. mm -hmm. (laughs) Two thousand years ago we were here where we are now with this pelvic issues being dominant and so forth. And And infinitely
0: worse in some ways. (laughs) Right. And she
1: said it was, it was the Catholic faith, the Christian faith that, that rose up, spoke against it, gave a better model, better reason, and ultimately triumphed. Now we Mm -hmm. might be able to sit here and say, no, why have we gone from a Christian worldview now? Why have we abandoned it? But okay. So How did it win the first time? Why can't it triumph again? Why can't it become the prophetic Mm -hmm. voice and the prophetic example in our culture today and rise up again?
0: What did they have in divine grace that we do not have, you know? (laughs) They they
1: didn't have more. They didn't have more, but Mm they obviously had a response. And so, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, somebody this morning said to me, they said, I think this is a time of, uh, this is an, we're entering a time of saint making.
0: Yeah, yeah. Definitely. Well, anyway, thanks for listening to those portions of The Straight Talk uh, today. We will come back at the top of the next hour with Nancy Gord telling us about two works of literature on Real Presence Live.